0: Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand as we're seated this morning? Wow. Oh. Hey, do me a favor, would you, as you're being seated, would you just turn to somebody near you and say, hey, I really like that shirt you're wearing. Do that, would you? Just tell them you like their shirt. <laughs> hey, Dan, your shirt... Your shirt's incredible, buddy. It's incredible. Uh, We were down here laughing as I'm watching that announcement because I hadn't pre-written out that announcement about the bus trip. And I, did I I, say incredible five times? Yeah, this is going to be an incredible message. (laughs) That's my word of the day, incredible. If you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 39. We'll get there in a little bit. We're going to begin in Psalm 105, because Psalm 105 is a seven-verse synopsis of really a much larger story. And today, we're going to continue a series that is entitled Centered. This title today is just simply Easy Doesn't Do It. And the fact is, is that... um, it's hard to stay centered when you feel like you're in an unfair circumstance. You're going through a suffering time you didn't deserve. You're going through an accusation that's not fair. Um, you, you feel like you've been falsely accused. Have, have any of you ever been in any situation where you felt it was unfair? Just raise your hand. Yeah, some of you have. Some of you didn't. Okay, let me ask this. How many of you have Siblings. Okay, I guarantee you had unfair circumstances, right? Because you always get accused when you have siblings. I have six older sisters. I never did anything wrong as a kid. But my sister, well, maybe I did. But my sisters always made sure I got in trouble, right? So, we're talking way deeper than that. We go through stuff in life. And in Psalm 105, it's really interesting how then you sometimes you're almost offended at how short a story is because you know there's way more behind it. Here's what it says. He, the Lord called down famine on the land of Egypt and destroyed all their supplies of food and he sent a man before them Joseph sold as a slave they bruised his feet with shackles his knee his neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true i put in my margin in my bible there Time vindicates the righteous. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. In that little synopsis of seven verses, the psalmist is referring to a story that took at the minimum twenty two years to unfold. Now, actually the whole story took thirty nine years to unfold, but twenty two years in the course of seven verses. And it's one of those things where sometimes you're like, Man, there's way more to the story than what you know. I don't know how many of you ever felt that way, but somebody says something to you and you go, you know, there's more to the story than what you know. You you got a glimpse. Way more to the story. So go back to the story, Genesis chapter 39. Take your Bibles and just move them back there because if you don't know the story of Joseph, and I, I, I apologize, I'm going to just assume you know part of the story of Joseph. If you don't, the story is contained between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50. It is well worth your read. In fact, I'll bet you can read it in one sitting because it's actually a very easy read in that it unfolds so quickly and keeps building in front of you as you see God working in the life of a guy by the name of Joseph. Now Joseph, if you want to kind of get the understanding of the beginning of Joseph, it's found in 37.5 where it says that Joseph had a dream. God gave Joseph a vision at the age of 17 years of age, and that dream was his call. It was God's purpose. It was, God's, it was, it was as if it was God's blueprint for his life, and all he knew is that someday he was going to be a leader. He didn't know what that looked like, but he shared that dream with his family, and it just began to fall apart because they immediately began to hate Joseph because of this dream. His brothers so hated him because he was the favored son, 12, f- favored son of 12 to Jacob that they began to just devise a scheme of how to just put him away. In fact, there was a point in his life where they threw him in a dry well, a cistern, and they essentially said, we're going to kill him. They decided they couldn't make any money off that deal, so they sold him into slavery, where eventually, in chapter 39, Joseph finds himself sold by the Ishmaelites into the land of Egypt, and he becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar, who is called the captain of the the guard, or the army. There in that, uh, that time, as he's away from home, he begins to grow and develop, and he's given favor and leadership within that home, And the wife of Potiphar begins to notice him. He's a handsome man. He's a gifted young man, somewhere by this time, about 20 years of age. And she looks at him and says, hey, come to bed with me. She tries to have her way with him. He refuses. He wants to maintain purity. He wants to maintain his integrity. And finally, as we get to the pinnacle episode toward the end of chapter 39, She grabs him and tries to pull him into her bedroom. He leaves his cloak behind, runs out of the house, and she might be afraid or just because she's mad. She devises a story and begins to tell people, this Hebrew slave tried to have his way with me. Her husband gets home. She shows him the cloak. He says, this Hebrew son or this Hebrew slave tried to have his way with me. In other words, tried to rape me. And Potiphar is so angry that he throws him into the prison which is reserved for the king's enemies and those the king wants to throw in prison. By the way, how'd you like to have your own prison you could throw people you didn't like into? Oh, come on now. You know you had a few you'd like to throw in there. And you see the description because it says he was in shackles and his neck was in irons king doesn't play around. And we come to the story where already in his life, this guy has been treated unfairly. And he now comes to the pit moment of his life where because he maintained his integrity, he's imprisoned. I mean, let's just be honest. Had he slept with the woman, he probably would be doing just fine. He did what was right, and he got punished for it. And the story picks up in chapter 39, and it says in verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. That's a powerful word because four times that phrase is used in chapter 39. And by the way, never said any other time about Joseph. No one nowhere else in the story. It's the only time it shows up. Four times, it's almost like the Lord says, hey, when you go through the hardest time in your life, when you go through the lowest time of your life, where you go through the most unfair time in your life, I want you to know, I'll be with you. That's powerful to me. It says, the Lord was with him and he showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of those who held that he held in the prison, and he made responsible for all that happened there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, they offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them there. After they had been in custody for some time, go down to verse, it says, each of them had a dream on the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, So he asked them, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams. Now if I'm Joseph, I'd go, wow, good luck with that. Last time I had a dream, didn't work out so good for me. (laughs) Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. The rest of the story in kind of a synopsis is that each of them came and told their story, and when the chief cupbearer came to him, the dream simply meant this: that in three days you're going to be elevated out of this prison, you're going to be restored to your former glory, you're going to have your your position that you had before. And Joseph says to him in verse 15, "Oh, by the way, when the Lord blesses you once again, don't forget me and tell the king about me, because as it says very simply, I love this verse." I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that deserves to be put in prison. I don't deserve this. Get me out of here. And that's exactly what happened. But he forgot all about Joseph. In fact, it says two years passed before he even thought about Joseph again. The chief baker comes to Joseph and goes, hey, that was pretty good. Maybe there's a good one for me, too. He says, hey, I had a dream, too. So he tells him his dream. Joseph looks at him and says, hmm, that's so good. You'll be taken out of prison in three days, too, and you'll be executed. (laughs) How'd you like to have that preacher, right? You think I'm tough sometimes. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and he can't find anybody who can interpret it, and the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, there was a guy. He says, you know what, there was a guy that I met while I was in prison, because you were a little upset with me, and he could interpret dreams. And so they brought Joseph before Pharaoh. Pharaoh had two dreams, they actually were the different dreams, same interpretation, indicating that over the next 14 years, Egypt would go through a prosperous time of seven years in which there would be incredible harvest. But then following that, there would be seven years that would actually wipe out all the prosperity. And they would be devastated. And so he needed to find someone who could prepare for the future, someone wise and discerning. And so the king said, I can't see anybody in here that's any smarter and wiser and discerning as you. So Joseph was elevated from slave, to prisoner, to second in command in all of Egypt, where only at his words did anything take place. Now, I know it took me a little while to get to that point, but I wanted to share the entirety of the story, or at least the majority of the story, so that we can make some observations this morning. And The first observation that I noticed out of this passage, as I was just working through it over the last two weeks, is that nothing hurts more or tests us more greatly than unfair attacks, accusations, and situations in our life. I don't know of anything that, that kind of that hurts us more than that. I mean, if you, um, if you burn your hand because you stick your hand in a flame, how many of us agree that ought to hurt? Most of you do. You know, I've seen some of you hadn't raised your hand. Uh, Let me go through this again, right? No, no, you stick your hand in a flame. It should hurt. If you do something wrong, you may not like it, but you should get punished. But what about the times in life where I I get something I didn't deserve? What about the spouse that is sitting here and saying, wait a minute, I was faithful for 20 years. I was faithful for 30 years. I was a wife, I was a husband, I was a father. And they took off. I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I, I get it if I'm struggling with, with lung cancer because I, I smoked for 50 years. I never took a puff. I've worked on my body my entire life. not me, but I worked on my body my entire I have actually worked on my body my entire life. In different capacities, but I've 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 eaten right, I've worked right, and I'm dealing with diabetes. It's not fair. I've put everything I've given to the Lord. I've tithed, I've been faithful. I lost my business. This isn't right. See, I I think the times in life, even though we don't like it, I think we kind of get it. You know what it says about Jesus in First Peter? It says that you know what. Even though he didn't deserve to be beaten, he was beaten, and he said nothing. It is hard when you go through stuff that you just feel like, yeah, I don't deserve this. Some of you are sitting here this morning and saying, well, I don't deserve this. This isn't right. I've served you my whole life. Number two, not only does it test us, unfair events and circumstances have a way of, tr- of testing our trust in God. We, we tend to wonder whether or not we can really still trust God because we've put everything to trusting God, and it doesn't seem like things are going our way. Years ago, I met a woman, in fact, was was good friends with her and her husband, and he had gone through and been involved in an affair, and it all came out as their pastor, and, and I remember, this, my goodness, it had been 20-some years ago, and I remember as I was working with her, she was mad at him, but you know what hurt her the most? She said, Pastor, every day I prayed over my family. Every day I prayed over my husband. I prayed against temptation. And now I find out. And she said, said, yes, I'm mad at him, but I'm hurt by God. Because I don't understand what was the worth of that prayer. And when you go through those things, it has a way of messing with your trust factor with the Lord. Number three, unfair circumstances. They have a way of challenging what we believe about God. Maybe God really isn't good. I know, Pastor, I know we sing these songs that he's a good, good father. And I know we sing the song that he is just. And I I, I know we sing songs that great are you, Lord. But God, sometimes I don't feel that way. Because when I'm going through this stuff, I really wonder if you really are good. I really do wonder whether or not you love me. I really do wonder if you're just out to get me. I'm not saying it's true, I'm not saying any of that's true, but that's the way the enemy begins to whisper and challenge you. Number four, and I want you to hear this because this forms the rest of the message. God uses the confined, unfair places in our life to form us like few other places ever could. And when Joseph was in his pit, he made some powerful choices and he made decisions not to go with feelings, but to go with choices. Choices mean a volitional choice, an act of our will. And when you go through that stuff, there are times where you're going to have to just make a decision, I am going to do certain things. He chose, say that with me, he chose, ready? He chose, do it one more time he chose. That will become one of the most important aspects of this whole message. Number one, he made a choice. He chose to trust God. He chose. He chose to trust God even though his trust in God seemed like it didn't matter. Now what I find really interesting about chapter 39 is I told you earlier that four times It says that the Lord was with Joseph. And by the way, it's the only time he says it about Joseph. When he goes through the hardest time in his life, the Lord was with him. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, the Lord was with him, and that means he gave him success in everything he did. Actually, if you study that passage, you'll notice it says, verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. He didn't say the Lord was with him because he gave him success in everything. It says the Lord was with him and he gave him success. The Lord was with him whether he was successful or not. In fact, when you read down through that passage, I put in my notes in my Bible, I just just wrote it across the top. Can people tell that God is with you no matter what you're going through in life? There was a peace, there was a presence, there was a joyfulness, there was an assurance, there was something. I I had a friend of mine who just recently went through a surgery, and I gotta tell you, it was a tough surgery. And I remember as I was talking with him, he talked to me about how he had an incredible time with the Lord in post-surgery. As I was talking to him again, he said, I said, you know what, I said, you understand now what it means to have peace that passes all understanding when you go through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I do, I understand it different today than what I've ever known it. And he chose to trust God. He made a second choice. Say he chose. Ready? He chose. He chose to submit to God's sovereignty. Now I'm using that word and I want to explain a little bit about what that word means. The word sovereignty means that God is in control even when it feels like things are out of control. Now, there are different ways that people view sovereignty. Some people look at God's control, and they say that God creates everything that happens in the world, and therefore everything good and bad that happens, God is orchestrating. That means if you're suffering, if you're going through hardship, if you're going through temptation, God is causing all of that. And I don't believe that. That's not, that doesn't line up with Scripture, by the way. Sometimes God does orchestrate suffering. But I don't believe God causes everything bad that happens in the world. We have an enemy, and we have an enemy of the soul. But God does allow everything, and I won't deny that. I know that's hard, and I know that seems hard. I know that for some that are sitting here today, yeah, that doesn't make it any better, because why in the world would he allow something that is so cruddy in my life? Joseph had a lot of stuff in his life. And yet he submitted that God somehow is going to, Romans 8, 28, that's where I look at when I understand the sovereignty of God, that God is able to bring about good in every situation to those who love and are called by his name. That God is able to work in every circumstance to bring about his perfect plan in my life. And it's interesting when you look at Joseph's life. And he didn't know what was going to happen. But Joseph submitted to the sovereignty of God. And what's interesting is that when you look now from where we're sitting. You look on Joseph's life and it all makes sense, doesn't it? God gave him a dream at 17 years of age. Nobody should ever want to be thrown in a sister. Nobody wants to be betrayed by his brothers. And nobody certainly wants to be sold into slavery. But had he not been sold into slavery, he never would have been in Egypt to be able to save his family. He never would have been in Potiphar's house. Nobody wants to be sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. And nobody wants to be accused falsely of trying to rape someone. Right? And yet it's interesting in Potiphar's house, Joseph learned how to lead. It's the first time he's giving ownership and leadership of anything. And oh, by the way, he learned how to stand pure and with integrity in the face of tremendous temptation. Never had to do that at home. Yeah, but he went to jail. If there's any proof there that he should have... He should have just lost his integrity because you know what? It is real. It's wrong to go to jail for something you didn't do. Jesus went to the cross for something he didn't do. By the way, had he not gone into prison, I'm not sure he would have learned how to hone his ear to hear the voice of God. There's no indication before he went into prison that he ever interpreted a dream go back and look he didn't even interpret his own dream he got from God his family interpreted the dream isn't it interesting sometimes in the confined hard places the places that we don't want to be the dark places when we feel all alone isn't it interesting how the voice of God can be heard by the way, he never would have met the cupbearer. He never would have had the divine appointment with Pharaoh. He never would have been in a position to be blessed. And by the way, save not only his nation or Egypt, but every nation in that region because, because of his faithfulness, he was able to provide enough food so that people didn't die off. And here's what's crazy look at the verse, chapter 50. Guess how old he is? He's 56 years old when he says these words. Give or take a year. Joseph looks at his brothers after his dad passes away and says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. God didn't. You wanted to destroy me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The reason I told you his age is, beloved, I know it doesn't make sense right now. It was 39 years. Years after he was sold into slavery. I guarantee when he was 20, it didn't make sense. I'm guessing when he was 29, it didn't make sense. When he was 30, it might have started to make sense. It might take years and years. In fact it might take eternity before it starts to make sense but he submitted to God's sovereignty anyway by the way why he trusted his character he trusted his love and he trusted that he was God and Joseph wasn't number three Joseph chose. Say that. He chose. Ready? He chose. He chose to see God as his resource, not his enemy. You get into prison, the chief cupbearer comes to him, the chief baker comes to him. Evidently, he messed up a cupcake. When Joseph came to them the next morning, chapter 40, verse 6, he saw that they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were already in custody with him, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. (laughs) Again, if I'm him, I'm going, well, good luck with that. (laughs) But Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Chapter 41, Pharaoh had a dream. He says, I hear you can uh, interpret dreams. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. What I love about this is that Joseph made a choice. He chose that he was going to submit to God's sovereignty. He chose that he was going to trust God, and he chose to see God as his resource, not his enemy. I know stories. I don't know all your stories, But I know stories. And when you go through an unfair time in your life, you go through a suffering, a situation, a loss you just didn't think you deserved, it's really easy to almost become bitter toward God and hold a grudge against God rather than to see Him as your resource. And I guarantee that's what the enemy will always try to, try to do in your life. Why? Because if the, Lord, if the enemy can distance you from the Lord, then he really has won in essentially destroying your life. And Joseph said, I'm still going to trust in the Lord, and I'm still going to submit to him, and I'm still going to understand that he's my resource, not my enemy. Number four, for me, this is the most powerful one. He chose. Ready? Say it. He chose. He chose to accept God's long-term healing. And you have to choose to accept God's long-term healing. The story goes like this, that after Joseph interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I'm going to elevate you to second highest in the nation gives him a signet ring, which indicates his authority, gives him a robe, and I wonder if Joseph said, hey, I used to have a robe. By the way, isn't it interesting that when you get to the story of the prodigal child in Luke chapter 15, gives him what? A ring and a robe. You can noodle with that on your own. And then Pharaoh looks to him and says... I got to get you a wife. So he plays matchmaker with a woman called uh, uh, Aseneth, who is the daughter of Potipharah. Now, by the way, Potipharah, does that sound familiar to any of you? Who does that sound like? Sounds like Potiphar, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be cool? This is not the case. Wouldn't it be cool if God. It, <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if Pharaoh said, hey, I need to find you a really good wife, and he chooses the daughter of Potiphar and his wife? That would have been cool, wouldn't it? It's kind of like, it's kind of like Joseph would have looked at them and gone, eh, right? <laughs> that's what it would have been like. But that isn't what happened, okay? I know it's a great story. I know that would be cool. There's no indication. There are some who try to try to make it work and say, well, you know, Potiphar moved to a new position, and that's what happened. It probably is not. I mean, it could be. It's probably not what happened, but here's the deal. Pharaoh matchmakers with Aseneth, and God begins to bless Joseph, and it says in chapter, chapter 41, verse 50, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Say that with me, would you? Manasseh. By the way, the second born's name was Ephraim. Say that with me, would you? Ephraim. Now, why? Because names mean things. And Joseph chose a name that was not just a prophetic word. It was an indication of what was going on in his life. And here's what he says. He named his firstborn Manasseh because God has made me forget All of my trouble in all of my father's household. The word Manasseh means to forget. There's another, it sounds like a word that means, now get this, to remove pain or to remove sting. And so I always say this, he named his son Manasseh because the Lord has removed the sting from my memories. And can I just encourage you, he didn't remove the wound, but he removed the hurt, and there's a difference. The wound was still there. He still remembered his father's household. He still remembered that he was abused. He still remembers that he was sold into slavery. He still remembers that he was rejected by his brothers. He still remembers he was falsely accused of something that was horrendous. He, he still remembers he was thrown in prison. Indication is anywhere from six years to eight to ten years that he spent in prison for something he did not do do but God's healing doesn't remove the wound it removes the hurt it deals with the pain the Lord has removed from my memory the pain of this situation He has another son. His name is Ephraim. The word Ephraim means fruitful. Here's what it says. The second son he named Ephraim, he said it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. There is nothing good that could ever come from this loss. There is nothing that God could ever. My life is over. The sun will never shine again. The darkness that is upon me will be darkness forever. There is no, that my marriage can never be the same again. My kids will never be the same. My ministry is destroyed. My you put in the blanks. You put it all together. And he says, But God somehow has brought fruitfulness from the land of suffering. Few weeks ago, I was praying with a pastor. Love this guy. He's got one of these hearts that, as soon as I, I just, I just love this guy. And he recently lost a child, and he's just been so hurt. And as I was praying and he was praying, the Lord brought this verse to mind, and it's like Lord just said. Ephraim, pray over him, Ephraim. And I wasn't arguing with God. I just wanted to make sure it really was God. It was. It was really not a reluctancy. I just. I didn't want to make this about me. And and uh, as we went on in prayer, I just couldn't escape it. And there was a. There was a. There was a pause. And I got up and I went over and laid my hands on him and I quoted that verse. said, Lord, he feels like he's never going to be fruitful again, and yet somehow in his hurt and his loss that, Lord, you're somehow going to, you're going to bring a compassion in him that never would have been there. You're going to bring an understanding to him never would have been there. That in his, Lord, in the land of suffering, you are yet going to bring fruitful ministry. Some of you are saying, God, there is no future for me. God can bring a healing if you choose, if you allow. We're going to close today's message. I don't, I don't really have time to go through the next four. I would like to share one thing as we close. Some of you, when I said you feel like you're in an unfair situation, you believe that I've been listening in because you've uttered those exact words privately or to someone else or to God. And I haven't, but I I believe the Lord does know how to listen in. God uses hard places and unfair places in our lives to provide a fullness of life that you otherwise would not have. And I know that that sounds really counterintuitive. Let me tell you what that phrase means. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the what? Full. And the idea of fullness means that it gives us an understanding and a depth that otherwise we would not have. Um, It would be like this. Uh, Mindy. Mindy, would you play uh, the song How Great Thou Art? And I want you to play it on one octave. I don't know, how, how many keys are in an octave? Dan, eight? There are eight keys in an octave. I want you to play it in one octave. And when Joseph was seventeen, his understanding of praise. And how great thou art! And it wasn't just because of his age; it was just because everything went great. He was the favored son of twelve. He was, he was blessed. He was in his dad's house. He had everything. Of, and I'm not saying that praise when you go through that. I'm not saying that that praise isn't meaningful. But I have an idea that when he praised God when he was fifty-six sounded more like this to praise God when he was attacked and he knew what it was to praise God when his boys were born and he knew what it was to trust and praise God when things were going great and he knew what it was when he was in the darkest pit of his valley. See, our praise, right? This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. It's way easier to praise him when you're on the pinnacle than it is when you're in the pit. But let me tell you, The impact of Joseph's life, the fullness of his life, was made so much more rich because of all the octaves in his life that God had proven faithful. Would you stand with me? Because I'm realizing something. When I was looking around this congregation, you're like all different octaves of the keyboard, right? Some of you are on some high points. Some of you have gone through some loss. Some of you have a child who's astray. Some of you have a child who's come home. Some of you have lost your business. Some of you have been blessed twice. Some of you have known what it is to go through illness. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you have come out the other side. Some of you have watched as God has been the God of second and third chances. Some of you, see, this is the octave, right? When we praise God, we praise Him with all of our life. So can we just sing that song uh, as we close this morning? Um, And can we just sing that to the Lord? Oh Lord my God the universe display. Can we sing that out to the Lord this morning? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul. My Savior, God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Father, I love this congregation. I love the eclecticness. I love the diversity of the story. I look around. I don't know every story, but I know a lot of stories. Lord, you know every story. You know the stories of our lives. And I know there are some that are here this morning. They're they're wavering because the enemy just keeps saying, you can't trust him. He's not a good, good father. This guy's picking on you. Father, we are going to choose to praise you in the pit, in the pinnacle, in the valley, on the mountaintop, when things are in between, in the uncertainty, We're going to choose to believe that, God, the sun is going to shine and that you are the God. We're going to stay centered on you. You're the only hope we have. And so we're going to stay grounded and centered in you. We love you. Father, we need you. We cling to you. In Jesus' name we pray.